So I got to preach orphan no more. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, looking at verse 14, it says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this is everyone Sunday school's teacher's favorite scripture to use against you when you're missionary dating. They're like, you know what the Bible says? Mm -mm. They're going to hell. They're going to drag you with them. You're going to hell with them. You're going to mm -hmm. But it's deeper than this. This isn't just the single person's scripture. This is talking about all of us. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What in the world is Belial? We're going to preach about that tonight. Probably some of the most powerful scriptures, actually going through verse 17 and 18, right here, that you'll ever read about your Christian walk. And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But how many of you understand the remnant will consist of the failures, the fatherless, uh, the forgotten, and the freedom fighters? Their pedigree is that of a scarred Savior. That is part of the, the remnant, remnant manifesto in the front of the I Am Remnant book. But now follow me because I'm going somewhere. Because tonight we're going to go to war. We're going to confront a fatherless spirit. We're going to confront the orphan spirit. We're going to declare identity tonight. We're going to remove some things because you'll never, you, you'll never understand who you are until someone speaks destiny and identity over you. This morning while praying, this is what happened. And maybe it started last night when, after we ministered in Georgia, Karen and Abby took a separate flight out of Atlanta back to Dallas. I caught a flight here to Charlotte. But on the way to the airport, a beautiful thing happened. I found out my nephew Noah Schatzlein, who's a brilliant savant, he can play any instrument, full ride to the University of Miami my, uh, Music School. He's brilliant. My nephew Noah got engaged in front of the church yesterday. But you don't know his story. You don't know that three years ago I flew to Miami and sat all evening, all afternoon, in a coffee shop trying to explain to him why he wasn't born gay. You don't know the fact that my brother took a 90-day sabbatical from his church to do war for his son because his son was under attack mentally. You don't know that he ended up in a mental hospital. There's a lot you don't know. But when I finally got my rental car here in Charlotte and I'm driving here towards the hotel, I called him and said, Congratulations. I said, my heart is about to beat out of my chest for you. I said, you tell Uncle Pat what you want, you get it. I'll buy the flights for the honeymoon, whatever you want. Why? Because I made up my mind hell couldn't have my, my family. My brother, I left him a long voicemail last night saying, you're my hero because you didn't give in. You didn't speak to the king or to the fool. You spoke to the king in him. Oh, you ain't getting this yet. Come on, mom and dad. There comes a moment where you don't even speak to the fool in one of your children. You speak to the king. You tell them who they are, what they're called to be. You declare their destiny. You do not bow to those lying spirits because mom and dad, you are the gatekeeper. And if you unlock the door, the enemy's going to ravage your house. And don't you let yourself get in a compassion crisis where we love the soul more than we love the spirit. Welcome to the American church. Can I preach this? 
about to get real, about to offend some people, and that's all right. If you're watching by internet, write your emails to Eddie James Ministries. <laughs> we go with that. Info at Eddie James. There we go. Info at. I got a spam folder called Stupid on my laptop. Here we go. This morning I began to pray. After that happened, I went to bed last night. And I wake up this morning and I had a prophetic vision. And I saw two hills. And I saw a young man in a valley. And on one hill I saw culture. I saw the party scene. I saw crazy stuff going on. And on the other hill I saw Jesus. And I saw the young man. Everyone screaming, come on. Come up here with us. Join our family. They're screaming it in this prophetic vision God gave me this morning. Then I see, I hear Jesus going. But his whisper was louder than their screams. Saying, come back to me. Come back to me. And as I was watching the prophetic vision, I'm watching as people were climbing the hill to join this crowd and they're walking right off the cliff. And God told me to come and tell you tonight, orphan no more. We're about to break a spirit in this place. We're about to come against some things. We're about to do some battles in this place. But I want to say something, and I hope you'll write this down. Until the issue of paternity is put to rest in your life, you will always try to live with the wrong family. Until the issue of paternity is put to rest, that means who's your father? You will always try to live with the wrong family what he gave me this morning. I hope you're getting this. So I can, I've come to confront three spirits, and believe it or not, you're going to find them in the Word of God. The three spirits I've got to confront tonight for just a few minutes, and then we're going right into the altar, and we're going to lay identity on a generation. We're going to tear the mask and the lie. God's going to literally, while you're sitting here tonight, you're going to feel the breath of God breathe across your face, and cataracts from the world are going to fall off. Blinders are going to fall off. Suddenly, you're going to begin to get sick to your stomach at sin that you've invited in. But literally, the three spirits I'm going to confront, and you'll see them in just a moment, is the spirit of worship. Worthlessness. Where children in the womb are considered valuable when the circumstances are right. We live in a nation where children now belong to a voting block. The second spirit, the never to rise spirit, where the enemy says, I'll inflict so much pain on this generation that their clarion call will be to victimhood and not victory. Wrote all this this morning or this afternoon. Number three, if I can't kill them in the womb, if I can't make them stay a victim, then I will put a spirit of lawlessness in the land where anarchy becomes the masked identity of the fatherless generation. Going somewhere. Somebody say orphan no more. I got to preach this. This is what God told me to tell you. In fact, you need to understand there is a cry coming from the very throne of heaven right now. Our nation is in travail right now as if giving birth to a child. And the church must become the adoption agency. What are you talking about, Pat? Do you understand that long before 9-11 when the Twin Towers were hit, the two towers of civilization for America were hit? What do you mean? In 1963, a tower was hit by a terrorist called the courts that said you can no longer pray in school. In 1972 and 1973... There was a, a ruling called Roe v. Wade that when abortion was, was made okay, the other tower fell. 
Within a 10-year span, our nation shifted and our nation changed. We were attacked by a terrorist sent by the enemy to say, number one, God doesn't belong when we're raising a generation. Number two, let's take it another step further. Let's just kill a generation before they become who they're called to be because 25% of your generation is dead because of abortion. I'm not preaching on that except to say there are things that are at work in this nation right now, and you are the most hated. You are up in hell's post office because if you get free, if you shake off the bands of the what the enemy has tried to put on you, if you break off depression, despair, discouragement, addiction, if you were to get free, you will become a mobile upper room. When you walk into places, demons will start diving out windows. Things will be, somebody give my God a shout for I preach. People even try to talk to me about abortion because they're foolish. Well, they know Pat. You know Pat. Well, in a vote of seven to two, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that a baby, a mother has a choice that a baby isn't a baby until it takes its first breath outside the womb. And I go, really? Is the Supreme Court always right? Absolutely. Well, go back 98 years to Dred Scott when the same ruling of a seven to two decided that an African-American man was not a complete man in a vote of 72. 98 years earlier. So don't tell me the courts are always right. They were wrong then. They were wrong in 72. And they, oh, you ain't get, I'm going to preach. Oh, you don't need to get into that political stuff. Really? We are the compass of a nation. says in Romans chapter 8 and I hear this screaming in my spirit the Bible says we know that the whole creation has been groaning is in pains of childbirth right up to the present time not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly ah, as we wait eagerly for our adoption the sonship the redemption of our bodies God told me to come and tell you tonight the church must become the adoption agency again and the church has been a daycare for the orphaned awaiting adoption while all the while the father is banging on the door saying, let me back in to sign the adoption papers. And if we're not careful, we have so watered down the message of, of the relevant church today, it will cause those who, have, who have, have, have been once bought by a wounded Savior to be resold to the slave master called Belial. I'll explain who that is in a second. And we must wake up. What do you mean, Pat? In our desire to appease the seeker, many times we never bring them to a place of being found. In our desire to appease the seeker, not offend anybody, we never bring them to the actual place of being found. We send them out the door still seeking for the relevant, for the real. And I'm going to tell you, I have preached to a few million young people, and I've never met a young person who's ashamed of the power of the Holy Ghost. I ain't never met one walk up to me and say, so why you do them tongues thing? They walk up and go, bro, I want to try it. And isolated Christians, it's time to wake up. Isolated Christians hiding from an infection, infected culture will only hoard an antidote called hope. Say it again. This is all wrote today, so I'm using notes. Isolated Christians hiding from an infected culture will only hoard the antidote called hope. We need the Elijahs to rise up. 
Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, what is the spirit of Elijah? What is the anointing of Elijah? This is why Pastor Mark and I flow together and Eddie, we flow together. Because the spirit of Elijah was to, number one, destroy Jezebel, anoint those that would do it, the Jehu and you. Number two, rebuild the altar. That was their anointing to restore the altar that stops the famine in the land. Every time in God's word you build an altar, it stops the famine. Ask Elijah, ask Amos. And then number three, to anoint the farmers, because once it rains, we need farmers, so you have to go get the Elishas. But the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, that he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And the Bible says right before that when the spirit of Elijah comes and I'm coming to declare some things to you can I preach this for the next few minutes thank you very much number one I've got to get into this and I'm preaching orphan no more I'm not going to go long but God birthed this in my spirit maybe it started with my my nephew on the phone with me last night at 8.30 saying Maybe it started when I woke up this morning and saw the prophetic vision of two hills. One with the party scene and one with Jesus. And the voice of Jesus, though he was whispering because his whisper is powerful, was louder than the voice of the crowd. But let me talk about a disease called Belial. Because I mentioned it to you just a moment ago. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, the scripture makes it so clear. The Bible says right there, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Can you imagine going home tonight? And all of a sudden, alarms going off like you just heard. Alarms going off across the city. You look out the window, and there's helicopters flying with lights on. And they're coming over the intercom saying, your neighborhood is quarantined. There is a disease that has been released in the atmosphere. You cannot leave your house. You you literally have the contagion. We're so sorry. We're going to put up barriers, and we're going to wait on you to die. You just sitting there and you realize everything has changed. So I'm going to preach about a disease called Belial. What in the world is that? Paul said it in the Bible. You know, sometimes we read stuff in the Bible and you're like, I don't even know what that means, but I'll find out when I get to heaven. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what does righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can... Light have with darkness. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Why is Paul bringing this verse up? I don't understand. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their people and they will be my people. So I didn't understand this. What in the world is Belial? So I started looking it up. I couldn't figure it out. And then I began to realize that every world religion uses the term Belial. It's another word for chief demon. In fact, literally in video games, the chief demons are called Belial. I still didn't understand it. And then I started doing research. The chance of Belial, all the different things, all the world religions that has Belial. Why did Paul say, what does Belial have to do with I didn't know this. I went to college. I've read the Bible through many times. But I had never camped out right there. I had never stopped right there. I began to look. So I studied Belial. And literally in in the Hebrew, it's Belial. And and it's another name for Satan. And 
and it means angel of darkness or destruction. And literally the name means worthlessness, never to rise in lawlessness. And God said to me, I want you to preach this, um, a message on the three things that hell is trying to do to a generation. I know what I'll do. I'll make them feel worthless. I know what I'll do. I'll hold them down. Don't tell them they got a voice. That's why Paul said to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But live it in life, purity, and speech. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold a generation down. And if that doesn't change them, I'll just make them lawless. Cast off all restraint. Do you understand the very early symptoms that you might have caught this disease? Is fearful, anxiety, lost sense of hope, depression, self-worth. The latter systems, symptoms include anger, violence, no purpose. And you're not getting this. It's an epidemic in a generation. It's James chapter 5, verse 19. It's the young man I laid hands on yesterday that when he walked up to me, he reeked so badly of drugs. And I watched as the Holy Spirit went over him with the wind and completely sobered that kid up. I wish you'd get excited. But look what James talks about the epidemic. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back and you'll have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Prodigal awakening. Listen, do you understand the disease I'm preaching about started at conception? At the moment you were born, the moment you became Long before your mama knew whether or not the pregnancy test was showing a plus sign, the enemy could hear it in the atmosphere because God was smiling. God was clapping. So he set out to try to destroy you. I know what I'll do. I'll destroy the parents' marriage before they're ever born. I know what I'll do. I'll make culture mistreat her mama because she got pregnant out of wedlock. Even though there's, no, though there's no such thing as an illegitimate child, just illegitimate parents. Follow me. John 10, 10, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came to give you life, more life. The word is parisos. It means beyond your imagination. Even though we know in John chapter 8 that the devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. We understand all that. That's just scripture. We also know in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. That word workmanship is poem or psalm. I am the song of the Lord created that we should walk in him. Uh, and he prepared us to bring out the good. Even though we know all that. I've come to tell you something. You're not an accident. In fact, the Bible says in Psalms 139, like an open book, you watched me grow from conception. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared, prepared before I'd even lived one. It's 1 John 3, 1. What marvelous love the Father's extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children. That's who we really are. So what is Belial? Simple word tonight. His goal is to destroy your identity. Second Corinthians 6, verse 14 and 15. I'm going to read it again. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what does righteousness and, and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
Remember what I told you, Belial means, name of Satan. Angel of darkness, destruction, meaning worthless, never to rise. Do you understand the enemy's number one goal is to steal your identity? Because a, zombi a zombified generation will always walk right past the church trying to give them an identity. His number one goal is to come against you, to make you the walking dead, to make you not feel anything anymore, to make you feel numb. And some of you need to understand how big Satan is. He started out as a snake in the garden. He became a dragon in, the re in, in Revelation. Somebody must have fed the snake. See, you don't realize it yet. The reason why Jesus called is, is called the spotless lamb or the righteous lamb is because if you get bit by a serpent, whenever anybody gets bit by a serpent, oh, you're not getting this yet. The only way you can fix it, the only anecdote or antidote for the serpent is this. And by the way, if a serpent ever rises up on a lamb, a lamb will begin to stomp its feet and stomp its head. But do you know the only antidote for some poisonous serpents is the blood of a lamb? Oh, you ain't getting this yet. So that tells me every time the devil rises up against me, I've got a lamb's blood that has already wiped that thing out, just injected in my veins. You're not getting this yet. So hell knows. I know what I'll do. I'll make them so miserable at life. And some of you have wandered off from God, and he sent me to declare this over you tonight. Because he doesn't want you to realize your identity. And I'm reminded of Jeremiah 18, 15. But my people have left me to worship the big lie. They've gotten off track, the old well-worn trail, and now bushwhacked through underbrush and a tangle of roots and vines. Do you understand the least dangerous Christian to hell is one who preaches freedom without ever experiencing it? That's theory versus proof. And there's a whole lot of preachers out there preaching freedom, and they have no idea what it really means to dance in Gettysburg. They have no idea what it means to crawl through their house in the middle of the night and crawl up to an altar and say, God, be with my family. My publisher from Charisma, he's very dear to me, called me tonight. I'm in the back room back there. He said, I've called you because I need you to do war for my family right now. And I said, let's do war. See, you got to have people you can call up and say, hell is at my front door. And I said, no, 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 we're two or more gathered. There he is in the midst of them. I'm not here by myself, but I brought my posse with me. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and we're here to do battle. I got demon meat on my sword because I'm not backing up, letting up, shutting up till I preached up, declared up. I'm not laying down anymore. I've seen a wounded generation and I'm here to say, let's go. So let me give you the three things about Belial and I'll be done. This is what God sent me to share tonight because you got to understand. The angel of darkness, the three ways Belial, the dark angel, affects you. How many of you know 2 Corinthians 4, 4? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Listen to me. God has called you to see him in clarity. Belial. Another name for Satan. Let me go over these three things again because this is what God told me today. The three things. Worthless. Children of the womb are only value, are considered valuable when the circumstances are right. Never to rise. I'll inflict so much pain on this generation that their clarion call will be to victimhood and not victory. And number three, lawlessness. Let me go over those three things and I'll be done. Because I'm going to show you what God did. How many of you know 1 John 1, 5? God is light and in him there's no darkness. So if Satan is the angel of darkness, you've got to bring the light in. 
prophète. Then yeah, means worthless. Paul said it. I didn't understand it. He called it worthless. I, I didn't understand why. Why he said, "What does Belial have in contact with Christ?" I, it was wrestling with me, and I'm just going, "Why in the world?" You know what worthlessness means? Lacking all value, empty, void of purpose. A generation that feels worthless will run to anyone to feel valuable. So we've raised up POWs, MIAs, powerless, offended warriors, missing in action. And God's saying, you don't understand. The enemy decided, you know what I'll do? I'll inflict so much pain on them. I'll let them see so much garbage by the time they're 18 that it'll control the next 50 years of their life. I'll let so many people talk down to them. I'll let so many people tell them they were a mistake that eventually I don't even have to tell them to take their own life because they're dying a slow death anyway. I've heard the stories. The young man that walked up to me one night in Seattle and said, Pat, I watched my dad kill a 64-year-old man. I could tell you stories after stories, thousands. The young man that walked up to me in Texas and said, my dad used to do what you do, but then he found another thing to do. And a week later, the same thing happened in Arizona. I could tell you thousands of stories. You could walk into my office in Fort Worth, and you would see thousands and thousands of testimonies. I could tell you stuff that would blow your mind. The young lady that came up to me in Wisconsin with about 8,000 kids out there, and she's literally trying to get my attention while I'm preaching. I'm like, oh, this is peculiar. And finally at the end, I said, come here. You need to talk to me. She said, neighbor keeps raping me where my mother raped her mother. So the enemy sets a trap. It's Romans 7 verse 11. Sin seizing the opportune time. The whole time God is screaming from the hill with a whisper. The enemy is taking you from me. Why are you giving into this? I'll never forget one night I've been traveling a lot and Nate was real little at the time. He was about five years old and I had just left Calvary in a church in Decatur where I was youth pastor for a long time. And, and all of a sudden, I, I hear my son about five in the, or three in the morning. He goes, Daddy! I got out of bed, and I walked into Nate's room. I said, hey, what's up? What's up? He said, I just needed to hear your voice. I said, Nate, it's three o'clock in the morning. He said, I know, but you've been gone a lot. I just needed to hear your voice. See, what you don't understand is the enemy's goal is to tell a generation they were walked out on. They would tell them that they're not important. Tell them they can't call out daddy in the middle of the night. And it's what 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18, because God's screaming, come back to me. It says, do you see the difference? Sacrifices offered to idols are offered to nothing. For what's the idol but a nothing? Or worse than nothing, a minus, a demon. I don't want you to become part of something that reduces you to less than yourself. And you can't have it both ways. Banqueting with the master one day, slumming with demons the next. Besides, the master won't put up with it. He wants us all. All or nothing. Do you think you can get off with anything else? But see, when your value is determined by others, you'll eventually be sold off as a chief piece of compromise. 
God says you're valuable. Look what it says in Romans 5, and I'm hurrying. you got to stay with me just a minute longer. I've come to reassign identity tonight. See, you're not getting this yet. At that moment, you walk into this, you walked into this place. Every demon in hell has been trying to stop you all day long, trying to say something's in the atmosphere. There's going to be a breakthrough. Eddie's going to get up and begin to sing about sons and daughters rising up. We didn't know each other what we were speaking. We didn't talk today. We didn't text about it. He had no clue where I was going. But God began to say, I'm bringing my kids home. I'm bringing my orphans back. I'm about to rescue a generation. I'm about to break the lassos off of them. And God told me to tell you, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person we're dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. Give my God a shout. Instead of screaming, you were victimized. Why not screaming, I survived. I'm still here. I'm not the 12-year-old kid that walked into a church parsonage after I got off the school bus and something said to me at 12 years old, run home now. And I'm running down the street. I wasn't really running because I was a fat kid. And I'm not, I mean, I was, I was, I was bouncing. And, and all of a sudden, I bust through the front door of the parsonage we lived in, a place called Louvre, Alabama. And I said, Mom, Mom, where are you? No answer. My brother and I went to the back bedroom, and she's holding a pistol, and she's trying to pull the trigger to take her life because she had had a nervous breakdown. And we tackled her. See, you don't understand. The enemy was trying to say, don't ever preach. No, no, the church will throw you away. No, you've seen too much. But there comes a moment where you rise up and say, if I saw a lot, if I went through a lot, I must be a threat. If somebody walked out on me as a boy, I must be a threat. remnant doesn't stop where they should have died because Jesus didn't. I'm almost finished. Looked up Beliel. I didn't understand what it meant. Okay, so it means worthless, but it also means never to rise. There's a force that's been pushing you down. Culture, words, and experiences mocking you. Our inability to climb past our circumstances. Mama got a divorce. Grandmama got a divorce. Great-grandmama got a divorce. Someone will get a divorce. Marriage doesn't work. Telling you you're worthless. Pushing you down. If you're like me, your report card, your report card looks like a music scale. <laughs> Talking about A, B, C, D, E, F. When I was in school, they didn't know what ADD was. I had A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I, G, K, L, M, P, Q, R, S, G, V. It ain't my fault they couldn't keep my attention. But that spirit of worthlessness, I can't sit at that lunch table because I don't fit in with that group. and can't sit at that lunch table over there because I don't fit in with that group. I'm worthless. I wasn't born to the right family or I don't have the right looks. Don't have the skills, the athletic skills. I don't fit in. 
So I go home, and I put on my headset, and I hide behind my phone. Worthless. Can't climb past my circumstances, Pat, because you don't know what's happened to me. The noise of the culture is so loud, Pat. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, and I'm almost done. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have, never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for the demolishing that entirely massive corrupt culture, which we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers, erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience and immaturity. See, you're not getting this. Last night at 8.30, I was on the phone call with my nephew, and that phone call was the end result of victory through Jesus over stuff that was said to him when he was in kindergarten. He was called things in kindergarten. But we won. Somebody say we won. Mm. Number three, and I'll close. Beliel means lawlessness. So if I can't make you feel worthless, if I can't hold you down, then I'll just make you pick up a gun. I'll just make you go kill everybody in high school. I'll just make you feel lawless and go against the very laws of God. This isn't very nice. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 28, it's a scripture that's hated by a lot of people, but it's I'm not being crude when I say this because we don't throw rocks. We throw ropes. We pull people out of stuff. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to depravity, lawlessness. You know what depraved mind means? The inability to say what's right and wrong. That's all depraved means. It means I literally don't know what's right or wrong anymore. I can't kill you by telling you worthless. I can't kill you by holding you down. I couldn't kill you in the womb. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you lawless. I'm going to make you cast off all restraints. And eventually I'll let you live in your house long enough where you'll just start loading up on some guns. And then you'll walk into your high school and see how many 17, how, if you can just kill 17 people. I was just in Miami three weeks ago. Depraved mind. I just don't even know what's right and wrong anymore, Pat, because I can't even tell what's reality and not reality because I live on this day and night and, and I'm staying on my phone day and night and, and, and I don't even know how to talk to anybody anymore. In fact, when I walk, I never look up. I've learned to be able to see peripherally. I don't even have to look up from my phone because, and so now when somebody tells me, hey, you need to change this in your life, my lawlessness kicks in and says, how dare you talk to me? My phone is more friendly to me than you are. How dare you say what I need to do? Somebody walks up to you and says, listen, you're going to have to get 
busy. You're going to have to work harder. No, don't tell me that. I'm going to cast off all restraint. I'm going to rise up. And Belial is sitting back in the corner of your bedroom laughing, saying, gotcha. I couldn't get you with worthlessness. I couldn't hold you down. So you know what I'll do? I'll just make you lawless. I'll make you cast off all restraints. And you need to understand why I'm preaching this. Because God sent me to tell you. He has not called you to walk in defeat, failure, depression, or fear. He has called you to rise up as a child of the king. And I didn't understand why he's, but he told me to come and preach. You're about to be orphaned no more. He's about to grab hold of you. Oh, you're not getting this. This is it. Because I've come to stop the epidemic and I'll close. What's the epidemic for the BLEL? Contagion. The antidote. Get adopted. You're not an orphan. It's Matthew 3.16. Bible says, Jesus, you need to understand. Jesus is walking towards the Jordan. Nobody's really looking at him. He's not important. He's not even fired up the Instagram account. You don't have Twitter. I mean, mm-mm. his Facebook is God's face. So he just keeps his face in the book. What? <laughs> Stupid, ain't it? I had a friend that wrote a book about that. Anyway, he handed it to me and I went, mm. sometimes you look at stuff and go, mm. The Bible says he's walking towards the Jordan River, but John recognizes him. His cousin says, Behold the Lamb of God. Nobody's watching at this point. Because he's 30 years old, he's got to be coronated as a priest. He walks into the muddy Jordan River, the filthiest of all rivers. He goes down into the water. He acted out the first fine arts human video. Death, burial, resurrection. And when he comes up out of the water, heaven opened up and said, that's my boy. Wait a minute. He had done no miracles. He hadn't fed 5,000. He hadn't even flipped over tables or cursed trees. He hadn't interrupted executions. He hadn't calmed storms. But because he was willing to die to the old and come about, God says, there's my son. He walked into the water illegitimate according to the world because no one knew who his father was. But he came out of the water. At the moment he walked up out of the water. See, you have to understand, if you don't know who you are in Christ, you'll come up out of the Jordan River never hearing his voice. This is it. He walked in as illegitimate but came out marked. In fact, the Bible says the heavens rent. That means right here in North Carolina, you'd have heard it over the intercom. Then what did Jesus do? I mean, I just started a ministry. I'd have went out and sent out a newsletter. I'd have done all kinds of stuff. Jesus went into the wilderness. Because the minute you get called out by God is the minute you better go hide because the greater the anointing, the greater the isolation. He would go and conquer all sin under three temptations and he would die to flesh. And then when he came out, his fame spreads far and wide. Everybody wants fame without wilderness. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read this over to you one last time so you never forget it. 
Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Or what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with unbeliever? And what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And this is what the Lord began to show me because I didn't understand why he took me on this whole journey. But what happens when you finally make a stand against the spirit of Belial? When you finally rise up against worthlessness, being held down, when you finally rise up against lawlessness, something shifts in the heavenlies. Something begins to change. Look what it says in verse 17. At the moment you rise up, draw near to God, he draws near to you. At the moment you make a stand, something shifts. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I'll receive you. And I will be your dad. And you'll be my kids. God says, when you break off Belial, when you say, I don't have to go to the hill of the party, but I'm going to the place of the whisper. Oh, you ain't getting this yet. When you rise up, it's John. The Bible says, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back in just a little while. John chapter 14. You have to understand. You say, well, what do you know about orphans? I know what it's like. I know what orphan is all about. When two and a half years before we went to China, my wife heard God whisper, the whisper of God, because she's in communion with him i want you to go to china i'll never forget the night i walked up the stairs scared to death in china wondering if my daughter would love me wondering if she could accept me this is our family home video the night we walked up the stairs in china to get my daughter where god had whispered go to china go to china showed karen a map of china said go to china and we're like why lord because i'm going to tell you something when god tells you to go somewhere it didn't matter she was left in a park at 14 days old it didn't matter she was was tripped over by a policeman delivered to the front doors of an orphanage almost froze to death and none of that mattered because nine months after she was born with nothing but a calendar on her chest tied or safety pin to her little shirt that said january the 10th so we would know her birthday something changed the night my daughter got handed to my wife that night i held my daughter for the first time why because a father had walked into a dark land where she had been thrown away and said from this point on you're not worthless you're not lawless and you will not be held down but your daddy's given you a name and from this point on i'm taking you with me and we're gonna have a party and you're going to spend a lot of money on my credit card. Some of y'all missed the last part. I said, and you're going to spend a lot of money on my credit card. I didn't know that was going to happen, but it's happening right now. Go ahead. Sounds great, Pat. What does that have to do with me? God told me to tell you this. This is what he's screaming from the heavens tonight. I already did that for you. I already went and rescued you. I climbed up a hill called Calvary for you. Heaven gave up all of its treasures to rescue you. I held up my arms. This is what God told me to write today. I held up my arms for you. I took you into my family. I gave you unconditional love. fought through my fears to receive you. That's what I wrote down today. Yet when I took you in my arms and accepted you, you've often wondered, did you really mean it? 
See, the Bible tells me in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, I was the joy set before him. you tonight. It's Galatians 4. But when the time arrived that was set by God, the Father, God sent His Son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of law, so that He might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as His own children, because God sent the Spirit of His Son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you're not a slave, but you're a child? And if you're a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. This is the last thing I'll do. This hit me the other day. I said, Lord, how do we break an orphan spirit off him? He said, put my name on him. I said, what? Now, my son and I have a dream, and I have to do it secretly because I'll get canceled at some churches, but we're going to get a tattoo. I know, please don't write any emails. But he's going to get part of a sword, and I'm going to get the other side someday when I get the guts. I hate needles, you know what I'm saying? I hate them needles. I got, take my blood and see if I don't go to sleep for an hour. I'm the only youth pastor that ever went to the hospital twice for George Sawyer and passed out both times when I prayed for people. Ask him about it. I'm legendary at that. One guy was dying, and I went, Lord, to heal him, I'm out. <laughs> but God told me to tell you, the tattoo parlor's open tonight. What do you mean? Got my sleeves. Gonna be 90 with the shriveled up rose. Listen. <laughs> with a dagger doing this. <laughs> a dragon going... Have a cross across you. It looks like one of them Texas crosses all shriveled up on walls. <laughs> but God has a tattoo of you. What do you mean? You don't think God likes you. The Bible says he anoints your head with oil. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 verse 16, he has engraved your name on his hand. Then it says he anoints your head with oil. But what most people don't understand is Revelation twenty two fourteen says his name is engraved on your forehead. I didn't understand that. So what God does is he draws your name on his hand. He reaches into the oil. And by the time he lays his hands on you, your name becomes his name. He puts your name upon his name when he anoints you. So you carry the identity of your dad. Bible says he set his seal of ownership on you. God told me to come and tell you tonight. We got to break the orphan spirit. Stand with me. I've come to declare across this room worthlessness and lawlessness is leaving your life being held down by the enemy is leaving your life and God told me to come and tell you you're standing in the middle of two hills and on one hill comes the praises of God 
the whisper of Jesus saying, come up here. And on the other here is, hill is culture and ex-spouses and people screaming at you and bosses and people trying to declare your identity and friends at school. And God is saying, they're louder than me, but I have come to whisper and call you and restore sonship to you. I just gave you a lot of scripture. I mean, you got so much scripture inside of you. You ought to be boiling over with the word right now. But God told me to come and tell you in just a moment, he's going to break an orphan's spirit off of you and that perversion that has held your mind that hurt that's held you that pain that has held you he told me to come and tell you if you'll let him he'll fix you see nothing can separate me from his love I'll never forget years ago some of you have heard me share about this I was on the road preaching somewhere and Abby was about five or six years old and she ran into the bedroom where Karen was getting dressed that morning. She said, Mommy, I got to tell you something. Karen goes, what? She said, I had a dream last night. Karen goes, cool. Our whole family has a sleep disorder called Revelation. My son will tell you where he's going in Africa to rescue a child that God's called. I mean, we all have prophetic dreams. Mommy, I had a dream last night. She goes, what'd you dream? She said, well, Jesus came and saw me. And he reminded me that when I was in the orphanage in China, he used to come and whisper to me, Abby, hold on. Your mommy's coming for you. Karen's standing there. She goes, mommy, we laughed about it. Isn't that funny? Because he said, I told you your mommy would come for you, Abby. And then he, the dream was over. And she ran out of the room. Karen's like, blah, 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 blah. she calls me. I'm in a hotel on the road. I start, blah, 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 blah. I think I went slain. It's not even fun to go slain unless somebody gets to see it. I think I got so messed up, took a, I, I took, got so messed up, I took an offering from myself. Amen. That's when you know you get, I'm like, my God. If he'll come visit my five-year-old in a bed with three other babies in a cold, dark place, don't you think he was there in your worst moment? Sometimes you go to sleep and ignore the fighting in the other room. Lock the door. So the person that wants to harm you can't get into your bedroom tonight. But why did he let it happen to me? What Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this life, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I overcame the world. He never said we would not go through all kinds of hell in this world. He just said I wouldn't go alone. And this life is a bus stop compared to eternity. So we're going to do something tonight. I'm asking God to do something radically crazy. I'm asking God. We want revival in this area. Revival is more than shouting, dancing, and speaking in tongues. Revival 
is when you come walking through the door and identity of the past gets stripped off and the hand of God comes close to your head and he says I want you to know I engraved your name right here and now I'm going to dip it in oil and I'm going to anoint you right here and it's going to be translucent my name mixing with your name and your identity will be restored because I've anointed your head with oil and I have now put my name he will turn your name into his name here's what God's telling me Before we can even give an altar call, because I hear the sounds of chains falling off people in this room, the sound of culture and worthlessness, every single person, listen closely, hold on to the music, here's what I want you to do, if he's really a good dad, if he'll never leave you or forsake you, if he's a father even when you don't know him, if he died for me when I didn't even know him, I proved that to you just a moment ago, if he gave his life up in advance of knowing Pat was going to come and do some stupid stuff, if he was willing to do that for me, if he was in the darkest place, then God wants to show you tonight that you have never been alone. If he'll visit my daughter in a foreign land, in a nation that refuses for God to be there. You don't think he'd visit you in the land of the free and the home of the brave. You don't believe he'll visit you in your darkest hour. Do you not realize, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It was not contingent. It was simple. I'm not leaving you. I won't forsake you. If you keep rejecting me, I'll keep knocking. I'll keep begging. I'll keep whispering. Come to this hill, not that hill. I'll keep calling on you. And if you'll eventually turn from that group and begin to walk this way, as you do, Jesus will not be a long ways off. He'll be right up on top of you, and you'll be running and dancing with him. And he'll and change your back and say what are you talking about what do you mean you did that back there no 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 no. he doesn't remember he said when I stretch my hands out on the cross your sin is as far as the east from the west and those two things never meet and God told me to come and tell you tonight he wanted me to speak this I wrestled all day writing this he told me to come and tell you first thing I want you to do is show them that they were never orphaned so here's what I want you to pray with your eyes open say Jesus if you're really a good dad if you're really a loving father if you never left me nor forsake me then right now take me back to my worst moment and listen I don't know your worst moment my worst moment is when I lost my sister when I looked at her dead body after years of drug addiction that was my worst moment. I've got some other bad moments, but that was my worst. I don't know your worst moment. It may have been when somebody walked out on you, when somebody lied to you, when somebody spoke bad about you, somebody hurt you or harmed you, or you got a phone call about a death, or it was an accident scene. I don't know your worst moment. But say this, Jesus, if you're really a good dad, if you'll never leave me nor forsake me, and I don't want to be an orphan anymore, when I shut my eyes... Take me back to my worst moment. I want to see you in the room. Now, this is crazy, I know. I know it's crazy. But he was there. And he was weeping over you. And he was crying over you. And he was calling out to you. And he was saying, hold on. This will pass. I'm going to keep you alive. I got a plan for you. So right now, we're going to pray this one more time out loud. Eyes open. Say, Jesus, when I shut my eyes, take me to my worst 
I want to see you in the room. Shut your eyes. He's there. He's in the corner. I don't see anything, Pat. That's okay, too. It's not a litmus test. He's there when they said they're getting divorced. He's there when they said there's been an accident. He's there when the doctor unplugged the machine. He's there when they said, I don't want to be married anymore. He never left you. You left him. You went to the other hill. Cry out to God now. Go. All over the house, cry out to God. He's about to move.